When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast covering everything that's going on in the top flight of the English leagues. I'm Jim Salverson. Today on the podcast, I've got Ian Brennan. How are you doing, Ian? Hello, I'm good. Yes, thanks. And I've got Marley Anderson as well. You're right, Marley. Hello, yes, not too bad, not too bad. Today we are talking, well it's the international break at the moment and everyone's been having a bit of a whinge about this international break that it shouldn't have happened with the heavy fixture congestion in the Premier League. So up step company man Gareth Southgate to defend the whole thing. We're going to be looking at his comments shortly that suggested the international break should have gone ahead as indeed it has. We're also going to look ahead to England's game tonight against Iceland, the final one of their international fixtures before the Premier League resumes. It is a Wednesday, so we have the AQA section of the podcast. We're going to be tackling some of your questions that you have sent into the show very shortly. Don't forget, you can always get in your questions as well via our social media, at The Sports Social on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook as well, Sports Social. Just search that and Sports Social Official on Instagram. You can get your questions in there, as well as finding loads of lovely football content. And for Floodlight Focus today, We're talking about Fulham. We're going to be joined by Ben, a.k.a. The Magic Mod, who's going to talk to us about his love of the Cottagers and how they're getting on this season. But first, let's start with the international break, which we are in the mire of at the moment. One more game to go against Iceland, and there's been a lot of criticism of this international break, particularly at a time when we're experiencing really heavy fixture congestion. The suggestion is that players just don't need more games at the moment. And COVID-19 is obviously still rampant across Europe as well. Southgate, England manager, has been defending the international break, saying it should have gone ahead, saying it's not the fault of the international game. It's the a problem with the sport as a whole. And we just have to manage this kind of thing the best we can. What did you make of Gareth Southgate's comments here, Marley? Is he in the right here or is he being the archetypal company man? Uh, I would I would sort of veer towards the latter, to be honest. I think 
I can't imagine a, an, inter, in, an international manager ever saying, wow, we shouldn't have really played this, should we, lads? Um, because it's <laughs> just counterproductive of what he... Especially when he's coming under a little bit of stick, you know, lately as well. Um, so, yeah, he's, al- he's always going to say that, isn't he? I think anyone with with um, with a bit of sense would say that, you know, um, we shouldn't have been playing any internationals that aren't... You know they don't have anything riding on them in this break. You know with the the second spike and what have you going uh, going on around Europe and everything like that. So you know, it, but he's never going to back that up. So you know he's got he's got to say that. I think he's he's as you said he's a bit of a company man. Um, he's probably just keeping his nose clean and you know and keeping it firmly in the FA in a in a, in a place where that will get him maybe another job in the future, maybe even chairman of the FA, I don't know, maybe maybe it's something, for, he's looking for a move upstairs and he's trying to keep everything in order, so he, he's, he's in the line for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think we all know it, it, international football isn't isn't going ahead, uh, sorry, shouldn't be going ahead as it is, and you know we've got a dead rubber against Iceland tonight, which probably no one's going to watch, and it's probably going to be a B team play, and everybody's, with half a niggles gone back to their to their club um, and all the rest of it, so it's hardly the the most ringing endorsement for it. We'll talk more about the Iceland game shortly, but I guess there's two issues here, Ian. One is the COVID nineteen issue, and we're it's one thing I guess having domestic leagues running, but it's another one having players flying all over Europe. And we've seen Mo Salah at Liverpool; he's contracted COVID. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks as he isolates and recovers from that, presuming he doesn't get it severely and have to recover physically as well. And then you've got the issue about injuries as well. And for England alone, Raheem Sterling, Joe Gomez, Jordan Henderson have all been removed from the England squad because of injury for Joe Gomez quite a significant injury that could see him out of the season it just doesn't seem like it was needed to put these players at extra risk for as Marley says games that particularly with the Republic of Ireland game games that didn't really mean anything yeah exactly I think in this time you know we're looking at a match tonight that is as as Marley mentioned there a dead rubber there's there's nothing to be gained for for either team Iceland are uh, relegated (laughs) whatever that means from the uh, Nations League Um, and no longer get to be a nation (laughs) the people people of Iceland are taking it pretty badly (laughs) I hear um, so, so um, you know, th- they're dealt with. England can't really benefit from from whatever happens, even if they win seven hundred nil. It makes no difference. So, yeah, should this match be happening tonight, when there is fixture congestion, there is a global pandemic, and you've already got injured players and, and all that kind of stuff, um, and friendlies as well. What's the point of friendlies? You know, the, the, we don't need them. The, the the players are playing regularly enough. There's enough international action, you know, coming thick and fast. We'd had the European qualifiers earlier in the, the last week and now we've got the, the Nations League so it's not like they need international experience but I do feel in some regard for Gareth Southgate I mean he is towing the company line but it's not his company's line to tow really because the FA don't decide that these matches are happening it's, it's UEFA or even FIFA who were insisting that the international matches are going ahead and he's in an impossible position really because he knows that really these matches shouldn't really be happening but um, he's, he's got the pressure from the powers that be that they should be happening he's got to endorse them he's a national manager and he's got to be enthusiastic about them but then he's got all the managers of the the 
players that he's borrowing for the international period who who are wanting them not to play. And he's having to nurse them through this period and, and get them back um, uninjured. And so really, he's, he, he, you know, he, he's in an impossible position because he's got the Premier League managers on his case saying don't play them. And you've got the international powers that be saying, look, you know, these matches are important. And, you know, I'm sure he knows what the actual answer to all this question is. But obviously, he's, uh, he's not going to come out and say, one of the really interesting football, who needs that, eh? Uh, one of the really interesting career-limiting decisions said in his defence of the international fixtures at the moment was that he made the case that the players want to be involved in these games. They want to get caps. They want to score goals. Mm. I'm not sure I see much evidence of that, Marley, because you do get players who seem to pull out with mystery injuries just before international fixtures. And then you look back to the Republic of Ireland game, which was a dramatic win for England. It was a, a very... Uh, it, was, it was a game played at a good standard as well for the English team, at least. But when you saw the reaction of players when they scored goals and when they won the game, it, it didn't really seem like they were too fussed about being there. Yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's almost everything's like a... Uh, has a friendly vibe around it. I mean, you know, England, Ireland, they're meant to be meant to be rivals but because it was a, a friendly and because England because, let's be honest because England are that much better than Ireland it was almost like a training match like as soon as the first goal went it was just like as if a training game had happened you know with no fans as well it didn't didn't exactly help you know the players were sort of wandering around doing a few sort of fist pumps and whatever you're allowed to do these days and there was barely any big celebrations but that's that's just how it is I think you know, when when you when you have friendlies, that's 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 just what happens. Um, mm. It's just it's a bit of a an unwinnable situation because I think you need friendlies to prepare your team for for tournaments that that are coming up um, and get used to players and things like that. You can't go into a a World Cup or a Euros um, next year completely cold and and not knowing each other and, and how you play and things like that. You have to have some sort of uh, preparation time and, and friendlies do do serve as part of that but the problem is the Premier League's that good that when you hit an international break everyone's like oh for god's sake we're not gonna mm. you know we, we've lost a bit of momentum here and and all the rest of it and we've plus... got we've got like five months now until the next time England players will get together it's a long break between the I think I think it's five months for the next international break so exactly how much preparation can it be playing now and then not playing again together for another five months yeah well that's that's the good that's the good thing uh, there's no there's nothing else till <laughs> march now um but it's just it's i don't know it's it's hard to answer because i'm you know not not a professional footballer um but i think you know there's it's the relationships with the squad i think you know most of that squad in in march that gets together next march will be similar to what um they are now, you know, probably 23-man squad, maybe, you know, 15 are probably going to be in the, uh, you know, know each other and they're in the same same boat kind of thing. Um, and that that will count for something at some point. You don't know when, um, you know, the Euros is even going to happen. So, you know, next year when when it comes to that, if the majority of the squad is the same, then I think they've they've got some sort of prior relationships and I think... The the, you know, you might not be like have hundred percent chemistry, but 
even that night, you know, sixty odd, seventy odd minutes that you played together at, against Ireland might just might just uh, count for something. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a tough situation. Um, you know, completely scrapping friendlies, but I think they they do play a role which is probably better for the players and the fans. And you know, I know I know people mo- j- jump out with you know slight hamstring injuries, and and that does it, it grates on me a little bit, like you mentioned before, but. You know, it's club football's got that much money in it. They're they're probably getting calls from from managers and and you know saying, well, you know we've got Atalanta in the in the Champions League next week, or we've got you know uh, Marseille coming up as well. If you if you're a Man City player, so it's it's tough for everyone, but we've just got to get on with it. I think. With all that in mind, Ian, what do we want to see tonight? It is England versus Iceland. It. Shouldn't be a dead rubber, but it is because England now can't progress to the finals in the Nations League. Do we want Southgate to approach it as preparation for the Euros? Or do we want to see some of those fringe players like Phil Foden and Harry Winks and Nathan Miles and Tammy Abraham getting a getting an opportunity in an England shirt? It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's you know it's it's not the most inspiring fixture. It's not like we're playing uh, you know Brazil or Germany in, in some kind of dead rubber, and there's some sort of international rivalry there. I think that the most we can expect from tonight's fixture is is some kind of virtual version of that crowd chant that uh, that Iceland are well known for. <laughs> that they can sort of blast it out over big speakers, and we still get some of that sort of atmosphere. But that aside, um, yeah, it is a chance for the fringe players. It has to be because you know what else are you going to do? There's there's no point. Um, you know, sticking Harry Kane out there and and um, and, and getting him injured and, and and costing Spurs a season, and I think that that would be the pressure that that Gareth Southgate is probably under today from from uh, the managers of uh, the respective players who are quite senior within their uh, Premier League squads, and um, it should be um, it should be good now because really Iceland are not a, a slack outfit; they're not one of the minnows in in European football. They are quite a uh, a strong side and quite they play a quite a British way as well in, in some respects you know they're quite quite sort of strong uh, scrappy uh, players who get stuck in so I think it should be a good match um, for for those players that have not played for a while as, as long as of course they don't get um, you know too injured and uh, and all that kind of thing one question I'd like to throw out though as well with internet, why do we have an international break? Why does everything grind to a halt for, in, in, you know, in some respects, quite meaningless uh, matches for some countries? Um, obviously, we have to have the matches played, but when you consider, certainly in the Premier League, the size of the squads, uh, is there an argument that that some of these matches could could happen within the regular season without everything uh, grinding to a full halt? Perhaps they certainly know. manage it within rugby. They don't take yeah, exactly, exactly. It's yeah. just the, the players who have those international featured players just other teams that have those international players just have to cope without it so yeah you're potentially yeah. quite right but i guess but it, there's there's more international teams in football than rugby and if you look at a team like for example manchester city i'd guess and i'm doing this off, off the top of my head but i can't think of a single player they have in their squad that isn't an international player so they'd end up playing i mean pep guardiola would end up having to play so I suppose in terms of first team, uh, you know, actual first choice starters, but, you know, the squads, Manchester City, I'm not sure exactly what the number is this year, but there was one year where they had like 75 players registered and they Mm. can't all be internationals. You know, maybe under 23s get a chance in the Premier League, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. Um, But it will be it will be fairly equal across the board, though, because I suppose most teams in the Premier League are going to be affected by people going off. So it, it would 
you know, I, I know that Burnley will probably complain, but uh, <laughs> you know, but then they always do. But it, um, you know, it, it, it'd be an interesting proposal because I guess that would be one of those. We talk about the opportunities of young players to get first team football, mm. and it would be exactly that. And and maybe it would take some of the value away from these big international superstars and towards the players that maybe don't feature at the. At international level, but then I suppose you've got the problem with the, the under 23s teams and all that, which tend to play at the same time as well. Keeping the focus on Manchester City for a moment, Marley, we've been talking a while about Manchester City needing a striker, and I just want to talk about Spain's performance last night very briefly because they turned Germany over 6 0 in an incredible result. And key to that was Ferran Torres, the new acquisition at Manchester City, came in in the summer. I don't think anyone expected too much from him. Certainly a lot of City fans were a bit cautious as to whether he was one for the future, whether he was one that was going to be improved and farmed out. They didn't really know what his role was going to be. But scoring three against the Germans, that's no mean feat. And could he be the man to provide that that kind of replacement for Aguero going forward? Because he's played up front a few times for him already. Uh in a word, no. <laughs> um, th- Good, that's section th- one of the podcast. <laughs> uh, the thing is with him, like, yeah, he's, he's scoring a few goals and, and that's fine. That's that's great. And obviously he's done really well to score a hat-trick for, for Spain last night. But he's still a winger. He's still not a centre-forward. Um, I've seen, uh, seen him play against uh, Liverpool last uh, last week and he was the one who didn't look quite settled in at Man City uh, just yet he was the one that looked a little bit off the not off the pace but like you know when you you just can't you see someone and they're not quite used to the exact mm. sort of philosophy of, of how Man City are playing in I think he's a little bit off it um, and that's that's just a, a sign of him still still taking time to settle in I mean he will get better and he scored uh, he scored a few goals in the Champions League Um I think he, he got a couple against Marseille, didn't he, and um, and stuff like that. But I think you, you can't confuse scoring goals from the wing with with leading the line because we've seen it when when someone like Sterling or or Mares uh, plays up front for Man City, it's it, they lose something, they lose a focal point, and I think that's still going to happen with Ferran Torres if you try and sort of wedge him into that that central. Uh, role in the front three I think it's it's asking a lot of a young player and you've bought him as a winger so why not I mean there is opportunities on the wing I think um for Man City I think there's they've got three three wingers and and Bernardo Silva as well who can sort of play there so you've got four it's not too many you're playing in two competitions you're still going to get games out on the wing it's not as if he's having to adapt to another position to to get uh to get first team football so I think he's just he's more of a just a goal scoring winger that's got an eye for goal than um somebody who's uh, a proper centre forward. I think a lot of his goals tend to be um you know, playing for Spain and playing for Man City with with tap ins and, and uh you know, well worked moves and stuff like that. I'm not saying he can't do anything else, but it's hard to sort of um to judge him on, on something like that because, you know, the way Man City and, and Spain play it tends they don't tend to score too many absolute worldy screamers. It tends to be really well worked moves where they slice the opposition up and and put them in the back of the net, and that's why uh, they've been so successful over the last few years. So I think with with Torres, I think you've bought him as a winger. Let's let's just play him as a winger. Um, if he can if he can fill in every now and again, fine. Um, but 
I think, you know, you've got to play him uh, at what he's good at. And I think that's scoring goals from the wing at the minute. Right, we're going to take a little break now. We'll be back in a minute to answer your questions. It's Wednesday, so it's the AQA day for the podcast. Us answering your questions that have come in via social media. And we'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We have a trio of questions for the boys to answer today. They've all come in via Instagram, which means everyone's got a really weird kind of name with letters and numbers and underscores and whatnot in it rather than proper names. But we'll try our best with this one. Are you ready for your first question, lads? Yes, bring them on. Always. Okay, the first question comes from B3N.DAVI3S which I think translates roughly to Ben Davis. <laughs> and you, you see, you, you've got to sign up to these social media platforms early to make sure you get your name. This is the lesson. Yeah, yeah exactly. It gets more and more complicated the later you leave it. So his question <laughs> is, what are your opinions on players changing their nationality before world or European tournaments? Interesting question. There's something we see a lot of the time. We've seen it with England recently with Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, both deciding they're not Irish and they're English and they want to play for the Three Lions. But we've also seen it with the likes of Seb Haller recently, who is obviously plays for my team, West Ham. I always assumed he was French, but it turns out he's got some Malian heritage so he went off and played for made his debut for Mali during this international break as well is it fair enough Ian that if you're not going to get into maybe what we'll describe as your first choice nation you can look back to your grandmas and your uncles Mm. and your aunts to see where you can qualify to get a game well you know I've never been a professional footballer and I think it's unlikely to occur now but um, (laughs) you know when I look at my heritage you know I, I born in England so I would qualify for England but my grandparents were Scottish um, and so they, I would have qualified to, to play for Scotland if given the choice and if I put myself in that position if I was a you know a half decent footballer playing at a decent level but but maybe not um, and I, I knew I was never going to get to the, the the glittering heights of the very top of my career and I was going to qualify to be chosen by by um, you know England I mean I don't know who the manager would be it probably with Bobby Robson in my era but uh, let's just say that he's never going to come knocking um, but um, there was a chance to have ultimate disappointment year on year but be involved in uh, a, a team song with Delamitri um, possibly the Proclaimers <laughs> then yeah I would change my nation and be Scottish and, and, and represent because it's all about representing you know a, a nation and, and having that um, and having you know that experience of of maybe qualifying for a tournament. I mean, Scotland's probably a bad example, perhaps, but uh, but they've done it now. And imagine the joy that they're experiencing at this very moment. And um, you know, it, yeah. I mean, if you're not going to qu- qualify for for the, the the obvious nation or the big nation, but likewise, if if I had uh, if I did have a chance of playing for either England or Scotland, well, which would you choose? Mm. Um, of course, you'd go for the for the one that's that's going to um, to to uh, give you the best chance of of having international success and and having medals at the end of your career, which is what what they all want, you know? Does this contribute to... We talk about football players not really caring about their international teams anymore and wanting to pull on the shirt of their country. I guess this must contribute to that in some way because I could have qualified. Like Ian could, could have played for Scotland, I could have played for Australia because of my heritage. And I can't see myself getting as passionate 
pulling on an Australian shirt as I could for an England shirt. I wouldn't care as much about that international team, yet it would have potentially been my route into international football. Obviously, if I could play football at any <laughs> decent level at all. So does that contribute to kind of this, I guess, devaluing of international football, Marley? Um, possibly, yeah. I think the one thing, it's always wound me up uh, a little bit, changing nationalities. Basically, when you're not going to get in one team, let's go for another. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the Irish team in, in the 90s, um, do you remember when they got, was it Euro 96 or the World Cup 98? When they got somewhere in, you it know, was the, it was the uh, USA ninety four. I think you're talking about. Yeah, was it? Oh yeah, yeah when the Jack Charlton was yeah. was a manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was you know the Jason McAteer was there with his Scouse accent and Andy Townsend, and I know they've got heritage and that's fine, but also, you're not bloody Irish, are you? <laughs> you're you're not Irish. Like there's there's so many, um, examples of it from from around the around the world and it's I don't know it's 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 not right is it because you know if, if you're English and you're not good enough to get into the English team you know so many so many players aren't so it's kind of just tough luck but you would take that opportunity if you could like look at as you mentioned Seb Haller like the French team is ridiculously talented um, in depth and he was and France is a country which is, you know, has a lot of, of, of immigrants come come through in previous things. So a lot of people have uh, African parents and things like that. You look at Zidane was born in Algeria, I think he was. Um, Drogba, Ivory Coast, could have played for, I think he could have played for France. Um, a lot of players, their, their World Cup 98 winning squad, I think like nine of the first 11 were had heritage somewhere else. So it's one of them, it's one of them things where, you can't sort of put one rule on it. Every every situation is different, but there's players. I mean, there's players around the country. I'm thinking of one uh, who plays for Russia, called Roman Neustatter, who is the most 100% German man you've ever seen. Um, to the point where he played twice for Germany in 2012, 2013. Has two actual caps for Germany, meaning he can't play for any other nation. Uh, but since 2016, he has played in competitive games for Russia. <laughs> Because he is, uh, I don't know, but basically the rules don't apply if you're Russia. Um, I don't quite know what's happened there. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, I don't quite know what's happened. I'm just trying to work it out. But um, oh, oh, here's oh, here's it. Right, I'm just reading an article on him now, and here's the uh, the sentence that makes it all make sense. Russia President Vladimir Putin is said to have intervened to speed up the application. <laughs> so there you go. Of so the Russian FA have basically said to, to Roman Neustadt, you're not getting in the German team, but you would get in the Russian team. Do you fancy coming and playing for us? Because I think he played for a, a Russian team for a few years. Um, and he was, they could almost claim him on the, the patriation thing where, you know, the naturalisation where you live in a certain country. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's now fully Russian so rules are there to be broken especially if you've got Putin the in charge the criticism seems to be around punching down though doesn't it it's like the, the criticism is when players take the step down to feature for an international team we don't seem to mind as much when it's taking a step up and mm. again Jack Grealish Declan Rice you'd mentioned in that Mesut Ozil as well playing for Germany rather than Turkey it seems to be it, it seems to be uh, uh, offending some people some way but not the other way 
Yeah, and I think, as, as Marley touched on there as well, that um, it's not always the player that's the, the influence in this. That There are plenty of football associations that are maybe of smaller nations. Uh, you know, well, let's use you know, Ireland or, uh, or Scotland as, as an example. But, you know, they, they want to fill their teams with, with the best players they can get. And if they can... If, if, I'm sure they're looking for links with, uh, with parentage or, you know, long-lost cousins or things like that or whatever qualifies you these days to get in. But... I'm just looking down the list now. There's, there's so many of, of them, and it's been going on for years. It's not a new thing. I mean, Eusebio, um, you know, changed his nationality back in, uh, in in 1966 to from Mozambique to Portugal. You know, it's 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 not a it's not a new phenomenon. It's been going on as long as football's been going on, or certainly international football's been going on. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's going to continue. I think, whether you like it or not. There's another one as well. Um... That's my opinion. China, China are at it as well. Um, there's, um, you know, how the Chinese Super League started um, pumping money into their their football and stuff like that. Well, one of the first players to come over uh, from Brazil was a lad called Elkerson, um, and he's, as you can imagine by his name, hundred percent Brazilian. Grew up there, born there, everything like that. Um, and he played in the Chinese Super League for five years, from 2014 to 2019, and um, did the did the naturalization thing was was adopted as a a Chinese um, citizen and he's now in the Chinese national team. So there's a guy. So there's like players called like Zvang Zvang Li and proper Chinese names like that. And then there's Elkerson up front uh, in in his you know not looking like any of any any of the others, just running around with his little Brazilian skills, like great dribbler, great goal scorer. But he was never going to get in the Brazil team. So he was like, well, yeah, of course I'll play for China. I think he's 29 years old, something like that. He's like, I'm never going to get in the Brazil team. So, yeah, and they've even they've even christened him with a, with a Chinese name because of the whole um, repatriation type thing. So it works both ways, but, yeah, it's it probably shouldn't happen in, in certain cases, but it does, and it'll, it's, a, it's a hard rule to change, isn't it? Okay, next question comes from V-N-Y-S-R-T-H-Y. Verney Surthy, I think we're going to pronounce that one. He says, why isn't AWB even in the running for England at the moment? So I reckon you're going to have a good answer for this one, Marley. So, I mean, is there anything more to it than we've got a load of good right backs and he's not up to the standard? Um, Possibly. Um, I think that that is the main reason is that we've got so many right backs. But the thing that... that um, confuses me a little bit I don't think many people are talking about him um you know when the when the squads get named and you always see the the furor on on social media like oh what's this guy doing in and why is this guy not in and uh, all the rest of it Wan-Bissaka mm. never seems to be um talked about in in the sort of thing of well he should be in ahead of Reese James or he should be in ahead of Walker or or Trippier um but he has a case, I suppose. Um, it's tough with with England's right backs. I think Reese James is is fantastic, and he's he's pushed out Aspilicueta in the first team of of Chelsea, which is no mean feat, um, considering Aspilicueta's club club captain. Um, obviously, Trent picks himself. Trippier's in the Atletico first team, and Kyle Walker's been. He's probably one of the most experienced guys in the squad, so. He's hard to drop, and he's playing centre back now. And um, for England, as you know, whether you agree with that or not, and obviously I said the other day on the podcast, I don't really agree with that. But it it allows him to be in the squad, and maybe I don't know. I mean, we just talked about the 
changing um changing nationalities. There's been a bit in the media about uh Wambasaka possibly changing to, to Congo, um, which is where some of his family are from and, and, and playing for them. So it could be another situation where we lose someone like that because there doesn't even seem to be any sort of uh you know, made in cap close for him. Uh, I can't remember Southgate talking about him. Mm. Um when he names his squad sometimes he says things, you know, like Patrick Bamford was unlucky to miss out or Callum Wilson or or someone like that who's been tipped to make it into the squad. I've, I don't think I've ever heard him talk about Wan-Bissaka in the uh, in the past year at least. So maybe it's one of them where he, he, he says, right, sod it. Well, we've got, you know, four right backs in the squad um, or in and around the squad and two of them, you know, Reese James and Trent Alexander-Arnold are my age. So they're always going to be there when I'm there. So maybe he thinks... Okay, maybe it's time to to go to uh, another country and see if they want me and stuff like that. But I don't see, I don't think he's not good enough to be in the team. I think, especially with um, England playing a back three, you, you, we see how Kyle Walker's been been sort of uh, shoehorned into that back three slash five system because he's good defensively. Well, because you know he's quick and he can cover on the on the thing. If you're looking at right backs that are good defensively, there isn't anyone better than Wan Bissaka. Um, in the uh, in the England pool sort of thing, so could he not slot in at at that third mm. centre back as well as Kyle Walker and give yourself another option? Uh, I think that's a, a a fair enough case for me. I think Walker's in there for experience largely, though. I think I think Walker's in there because he has that experience playing international football, and Wambasaka doesn't necessarily bring that, and he doesn't really fit into the kind of mould of right back that Southgate wants to play either with that three at the back kind of wing backs scenario, he's just not offensive enough for me. I think it's as simple as that, but it's a position we're very blessed in. So it's difficult to see how there is a route in for Aaron Wambasaka into the England first team. Uh, we're going to do our final question from a slightly easier to pronounce SA baby Nelly. Finally, a decent Instagram name. She says, or he says, I'm assuming it's a she should exaggerated falls to draw penalty kicks result in a penalty kick to the opposition team if the referee or VAR determines that it was a dive. She uses PKs instead of penalty kicks. I'm assuming this is a listener from the US. So <laughs> basically, if you dive in the opposition's block, in the opposition's box, should the referee point to the spot at the other end of the pitch and give a penalty the other way? It's an interesting idea, Ian. It is an interesting idea. Um, I, you know, also I'm all for you know reinventing the rule book. Um, I'm not sure that I mean, the thing with getting a penalty awarded, um, to, I, I'm not sure it would actually act as a deterrent because they all know that there's a chance that 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 penalty might not go in. But then I suppose there's always the doubt that was it a dive or not and all that kind of stuff. I would go the whole hog, award a goal to the opposing team. <laughs> I mean, you'd have the problem sorted out by next week. I suppose that's it. It's about punishing the... I mean, we don't, nobody wants to see diving in the Premier League and it's something that is turning into a little bit of a problem at the moment. It's very difficult to prove intent in a lot of these cases. When we're watching dives, inverted commas, on VAR, when there has been contact, that potentially is a penalty kick, but at the same time has been exaggerated. It's very difficult to call that as actual cheating or whether it's calling the referee or exactly what it is. I guess for me, Marley, the issue with this suggestion that if you dive in one end of the pitch, you get a penalty at the other end of the pitch, is that the reason you get a penalty for a foul in the box is because 
you've potentially denied a goal scoring opportunity and it kind of makes sense for a penalty to be awarded which doesn't necessarily work in the scenario that's being described here so in my view the punishment should be harsher than it is because if we're going to get it out of the sport there needs to be something a little bit more it needs to be a bigger punishment than just maybe a yellow card for example because you are trying to cheat and change the course of the game but maybe this isn't the right solution there uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head when, when you say it isn't quite the right solution. Um, you can't be you can't be doing stuff like that. I think if you're going to go that far, you might as well just play Rocket League and have all the players playing playing cars and <laughs> smash each other up and that kind of thing. But um, it's it. But I mean, it does raise a question of you know. I think the the point of the question was maybe you know diving doesn't get punished as harshly as it should. Um, you could maybe look at. Things that you can do to to eradicate that from the game. I think you know, a lot of people say a yellow card is is basically um, something that you know you get one chance to cheat in a game, and that's what a yellow card is because you don't get sent, you don't you don't have time off the pitch. Nothing really happens. You're just on a booking for the rest of the game, and you can still participate and stuff like that. So maybe if somebody blatantly tries to cheat, which is you know diving. Um, and also cynical fouls where somebody's through on goal and you, you you trip them or you pull the shirt or something like that. I think football could stretch to have um, a sort of sin bin style rule where you have ten minutes off the pitch because that is a, a serious disadvantage that that people would would uh, would talk about. And you know if somebody was going through on goal um, and they dived to win a penalty and the referee seen it. A booking doesn't really solve that. It doesn't really punish them. It's a free kick to the other team and everyone carries on as they were. If if they had 10 minutes off the pitch, they would try and stay on their feet a little bit more because even though um, you, you know, you, you're trying to win the game, you, you're not going to take that risk of, lose it, of not getting the penalty and having 10 minutes off the pitch where the other team could potentially go and score uh, a goal against you. So I think something... something there's something there. It's not. It's definitely not. Let's give a penalty to the other team. It's not um, American football or something like that, where uh, or basketball where you get a free throw at the other end for a foul at any point on the pitch or trigger a multi-ball <laughs> scenario. If there's a foul in the box, eight balls go onto the pitch yeah, at once. Do you know what? I'd, One of them on fire. I'd be, I'd be bang up for a multi-ball system because then Newcastle would have more than thirty-seven percent possession <laughs> against anyone. We'd actually get a touch of the ball. What about if it's an attacker that cheats, take a defender off that team, make them have uh, you know ten minutes without a defender? Because you know if, if 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 a striker, let's just say I don't know uh, Mane for example, just to pick on one first comes to mind. So he's he's dived. Liverpool then should be without you know their uh, their main defender, which I guess they all air out for the rest of the season. But you know on the pitch for uh, for ten minutes and, and give the opportunity um, you know the opportunity to the opposition to maybe have a go at them. I, I don't know. There's it all these things. They'll never happen. But you know, it feels like the, fun, it's, it's the nice fundamentals of the sport have to remain, don't they? And the fundamentals yeah. of the sport are you have eleven versus eleven, unless there is a red card scenario. So I think something like a Something potentially like a sin bin could be a could be a solution, but still, then at the same time, you've still got to be able to effectively judge what is a dive and what isn't a dive, and what is a foul and what isn't a foul. And at the moment, that seems to be a real problem for football on the whole. So I'm not sure there's an easy solution. I think there. too with with the, the the penalty area, not not every 
um, not every incident that happens in a penalty area is is a clear goal scoring opportunity as well as, as we mentioned no. before. You know, you can have really crowded penalty areas uh, where that player, regardless of the position they are on the pitch, they're not going to have a shot on goal because it's you know they can't see the goal perhaps with with the way that the, the players are versus a clear one on one with a keeper where the player's cleared out. Obviously, that's a penalty. You know, I think it's it's what uh, what. What happens in the penalty area doesn't nece- shouldn't necessarily equal a, a clear goal-scoring chance every time. We'll leave that there for the AQA this week. If you want to get your questions in for next week, you can do so via Facebook. Search the Sports Social. You can find us on Twitter at the Sports Social on Instagram. Sports Social official there as well. Look out for the posts as long as Marley remembers to put them up on social media. Then you can reply <laughs> to them, right, Marley? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> right, we're going to. Move our attention to Craven Cottage next because our floodlight focus is all about Fulham and we're going to be speaking to Ben, a.k.a. the Magic Mod, next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team, just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's time for Floodlight Focus, which looks at a different Premier League club each day. Today, we're focusing on Fulham. And to do that, I've got Ben, a.k.a. the Magic Mod, with me. How are you doing, Ben? How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Do you know what? I never realised you were a Fulham fan. So, how long have you been uh, supporting the Cottagers? Man and boy? Oh, mate, since I was a youngster. My dad took me to a game when I was about five or six, mate. I remember being there. Yeah, like in the uh, Hammersmith end before it was all seating on my dad's shoulders, mate. Long, long time ago, mate. I mean, I'm like, I'm 30 now, so I've seen, I've seen some fantastic times, and I've also seen some very bad times, mate. But that's that's why you support a club, and I mean, if I wanted to support a team that won every week, you know, like you <laughs> go for it one of the top four, wouldn't you? But it's, it's it's very interesting supporting a team like Fulham, mate. You never know what you're going to get. A bit like the season at the moment. Who are the players that you remember? that are kind of the ones you idolised then from growing up? I remember a bloke called Facundo Sava. He was brilliant. Paul Pesky Solido, Jeff Jeff Allsfield, Chris Coleman, Kit Simons was another one. One that really stood out for me was a bit of a magician. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> Steve Mabron and Louis Bauermorte. Mate, watching them... I tell you, I played I played in a charity game once with Bauermorte at the cottage, right? And he'd done something. I, I, honestly, no idea how he'd done it. He... He had like three blokes around him. He ended up somehow nutmegging two of them and still had the ball. And then he passed to me. And I was so like mesmerised by what he did that the ball just carried on rolling past me. I just thought, <laughs> and he looked at me like, oh, that was for you, Ben. I was like, mate, how, how'd you do that? Like, seriously, he still got it. Fantastic athlete. And he's still built like a brick house. Well, let's focus on Fulham now then, because last time we did Fulham on the Floodlight Focus, it was a month ago and it was pretty much all doom and gloom. You'd just been beaten 3-0 by Brentford in the Cup. You'd lost to Wolves. You got a draw out of Sheffield United, and that was the only point you had on the board. Then you went on Mm. to get beaten by Palace the next weekend, I think. Now, you're no longer in the bottom three. You're only just out of the bottom three, but you're no longer in there. You got your first Premier League win on the board as well. You almost got a point out of the game versus West Ham. Does it feel like there's a glimmer of hope for the season now? Listen, I'm not like the Grim Reaper. I, I love my team. I'm, I'm Craven Cottage is my is my place of worship, but I just honestly don't think we're good enough this season. You know, like against West Ham, I honestly thought that was a fantastic performance. But when you come out there giving it all and don't get a point, yeah, mm. 
all right, I'm not even going to mention what happened in the last minute because it really winds me up. You know, for a player to do that in the last minute was just ridiculous. But I mean, the game before we beat West Brom 2-0, as a lot of people were saying, and as I'm saying, it's West Brom. You know what I mean? They come up with us. They're still sort of like a championship side. You know, I think, look, we played Arsenal first game of the season. I really thought if we want to stamp our mark, we should have got something out of there and we ended up getting uh, rolled over. Palace, again, we should have picked up something. Yeah, all right, we, we we start playing well in patches, but we just don't get the results. And I know a lot of people saying, yeah, it's going to happen soon, it's going to happen soon, but you need it to happen now because do you remember that stat? Most of the teams that are in the bottom or at bottom at Christmas or something like that normally tend to go down, don't yeah. they? And I don't want it to be one of them seasons where, you know, we just come back up and then we go back down and then we come back up. I mean, even though the chairman says we're a bit of a yo-yo club, which I think is a bit of an insult for the chairman to say that. Or sorry, Tony Tony Khan said it, not uh, Shahid Khan. But I think that's what we're going to end up being this season. It pains me to see it. My heart always says, yeah, but my, my head says, I can't see us staying up, mate. Can't see what we're going to get next. You know, you see the high, a lot of people see the highlights of Fulham and stuff like that. I'm watching them week in, week out when they're obviously on the TV. But I'm just thinking, we pass the ball around very nicely, but we keep it in our own half too much. We need to be more attacking. Mm. Mitrovic, God bless him, he's trying to do too much at the moment. I mean, he's missed two penalties now, hasn't he? He missed one for his country the other day and he missed one for us against Sheffield United, mm. which should have got that. He just... If he gets one goal, I think he'll kick on again. But he's just getting that goal again. I was going to ask you about the penalties. And I know you don't want us to talk about what happened at the end of the West Ham game, but we have to really because, I mean, Lookman's penalty, he's not going to try that again in a hurry, but he has let his team down in that scenario. Mitrovic, as you say, he's missed a couple now as well. Next time you get a spot kick, who steps up to take it? Well, going back to that, mate, when we had it, I was like buzzing. I was like, this is it. This is it. This will do us. We'll kick on the season after this. A great, fantastic point. No way is he missing. And he's put it down. I thought, oh, he's, he's been brilliant so far. He has. He's, he's started the season very well. He's been a bright spark. And the goal he scored at Sheffield United, I think, reminiscent of when we had uh, Ryan Sessignon. Fantastic way to dribble past the player. And it was, it was like watching him again. So I thought, he yeah, ain't going to miss. And then he did that. And I was like, hang about. Can we like rewind that? Is that actually going to... Did he actually do that? Surely not. I just couldn't believe it. If he smashes that in, mate, all of a sudden he's an hero. But to try that, I mean, is his confidence that high? As I said, I, I, I'm saying, look, mate, you play for Fulham. You're not Barcelona. That's stuff you do when you're four or five nil up. You know, not when you're one nil down and you need to get a point. I was shocked, mate. Honestly, absolutely shocked. But who do I want to take the next penalty? I think it's got to be TC. It's got to be Tom Kearney. Mm. It's just got to be. I remember we had some fantastic penalty takers before. We used to have Clint Dempsey and Danny Murphy. You always put your house on on Danny Murphy scoring a penalty. But, I mean, it's got to be Tom Kearney now. Mm. Mitrovic, as I said, he looks like he's low in confidence. But, I mean, he's he's been superb for us, Mitrovic, when he, the time he's been at us. So, I would never slate him. Like, I wouldn't slate anyone. Although, if you do another penalty like that, I'll crucify <laughs> It's got to be Tom Kearney. Like I said, I think there has been some green shoots of recovery from Fulham. I think there's been some glimpses that they can turn around this season. And a lot of that's been from the loan signings that have been brought in for me at the end of the last window that have mm. looked decent. But now my concern about loan signings, and I'd say this about any loan signings that come into a club, is that they're maybe not quite as committed as the permanent players, as the guys you've got there full time. Does that concern you that at some point this season for Fulham, 
it's going to be a backs against the wall job. It's going to be a fight for survival. And maybe the amount of loans you've got in at the moment aren't quite going to be as up for the fight as maybe they might be. Do you know what? That's exactly what I do think when we uh, had the last time. Because we've always been like loan FC. We've always brung in loans. Uh, you know, are we going to buy in someone? Oh, no, we've got another three people on loan. It's just mm. always the way it does the business. But I think, yeah, I've got to agree. When it is backs against the walls, they, they know they're going to go back to their parent club at the end of it. It doesn't matter to them. It's the players that are there on long-term contracts are really grafting and trying to get something out of it. I mean, I always had the saying of, no matter what team you're, no matter what team you're representing, you always have to give it a hundred percent. But I'm afraid we live in a world now where a lot of people don't. You know, they're getting paid a lot of money. They don't care what club they're playing for because it's not their, it's not their passion. You know, the, yeah. the, it's the fans who always end up missing out. And I mean, the one who, who I think was brilliant was um, Kevin McDonald and Stefan Johansson, who haven't even been picked in the squads. Now they've been sort of bombed out because they always used to play with their art on their sleeve. You know, they were fantastic. And they're the sort of people you need in and around the squad when you're battling at the bottom. I feel a bit gutted that they've sort of been bombed out because, you know, they were players who would always give 100%, 110% feel saying, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know he, he, he just flies into challenges. He reminded me a little bit of a Danny Murphy, to be fair. Mm. I'd love to see them back in a Fulham shirt again playing for us because they're the players you need in and around the squad. Go on, before you go, Ben, it's a bit doom and gloom for Fulham at the moment. Give us something positive from this season. Something good that you're going to take away from it. I reckon we'll take six points against Chelsea this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, we get a, if we get a result against Chelsea, mate, I will be bouncing against the wall. I would love us to stay up. All right, I'm going to go for it. We stay up, we beat Chelsea home and away, and Brentford don't go up. Get on that. And I haven't been drinking either. Do you know what? I'm a West Ham fan. And a couple of seasons ago, we had a season. It was I don't remember exactly what season it was, but it was one of our many disappointing seasons. But in the season, we beat Tottenham home and away. And the club actually printed T-shirts to commemorate the fact that we'd beaten Spurs home and away. When we beat, we beat Chelsea once, 1-0 at the cottage, Lewis Balmorte, right? And all the fans flooded onto the pitch. And about two months after, we brought out a DVD, we brought out <laughs> with the, with the scoreboard. And I actually got a shirt made up and it said Chelsea, uh, Fulham 1, Chelsea nil, priceless, Bowamorte underneath it. It's just the stuff, it's stuff of dreams. I'd love to see a beat Chelsea, mate, honestly. That's why it is more fun supporting the clubs that don't have success all the time. You get to celebrate moments like that. Ben, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. If people want to see some of your magic and they want to find out more from you, where can they head? If you're on Twitter, it's at TaylorMod. I've got a load of stuff on YouTube, just The Magic Mod. And uh, I've got a website, themagicmod.com. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed my chat and uh, I'm sure you enjoy the magic a lot more. <laughs> there you go. Go check it out. And cheers for coming on the podcast, Ben. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Nice one, Ben. Well, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. Thank you, Marley. Thank you, guys. Click subscribe now and there'll be a brand new episode waiting for you tomorrow lunchtime with all the latest on the Premier League and no doubt a little bit of opinion on tonight's England game against Iceland as well. And we'll see you then. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.